Welcome to the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. I am Luke Mihal, and this is episode 18 of season two, conversation with Chris Schulte. Calling this one from the creek to the capital. I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Chris. He's one of the writers from the zine that has, you know, contributed several great articles. Um, I always say I, I know every climber who's you know lived a, a life of climbing or even a decade of climbing everyone has one great story and um, it takes a lot to be able to write uh, four five six um, good essays and I know that the climbing zine is not the only publication that Chris writes for but we have been blessed with several of his articles and um, this conversation ranges from in so many ways from the writing process to activism to um, enjoyment of solitude. I really enjoyed this conversation with Chris and I'm really excited to share it with y'all. If you want to support this podcast, check out the discount link in your show notes, pick up some merch, pick up some books, pick up some zines. We got some new, the dirt bag is dead merch from uh, Mike Hanslick. He's an artist out of the Midwest and his handle on Instagram is the dead dirt bag. And Really stoked to work with him and, um, you know, find this intersection between uh, dirtbags and deadheads, because uh, I'm both. Hey, everyone. Tommy Caldwell here. You know, everyone, at least in the climbing world these days, is trying to figure out ways to live more intentionally, to live a less impactful life. And one of the best things we as climbers can do to make that happen is to support and buy things from the companies that are doing the same thing, the companies that are figuring out ways to lower their carbon footprint, lower their chemical usage, make their products out of recycled materials, make products that just don't wear out. And, you know, the only company that's doing that well in the ropes and hardware space is Edelrid. They've been innovating the best products for over 100 years. They invented the sit harness. These days they make unquestionably the most high quality ropes, the lightest weight carabiners, and really they're just awesome all around. So check them out at www.climbgreen.com. Hey, this is Chad Rich. I'm the editor and producer of this podcast. We can't bring you this audio art without your support and support from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Scarpa. Scarpa's approach to climbing shoe design mirrors their approach to the pursuit of climbing itself. They strive to evolve and incorporate new ideas and techniques every step of the way. They refine their strengths, train their weaknesses, and build on each success. Scarpa has been bolstering its climbing shoe foundations by continuing to create versatile, high-quality designs that satisfy the needs of climbers across a range of disciplines and skill levels. For more information, visit scarpa.com. Now let's get into the episode. Yeah, so we got Chris Schulte here and um, one of the most prolific zine contributors. And um, we kind of got connected through the zine, even though we had a lot of parallel interests. And we both have, a, we've called Durango home at one at one point. Um or, or another <laughs> eight points <laughs> or, eight or something points, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to just start off by talking about writing. I, I know you, you might have cringed a little bit when I told you you are a fan favorite of the zine. <laughs> um, and I was just curious where your where did your passion for writing begin and like who are some of your uh, influences with writing? That's a great 
way to softball in a first question. I really am grateful for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what? I guess I've been writing for almost 30 years now. Uh, as intermittently as it is. I'm no like Truman Capote, Thomas Mann, you know, one of those guys that's like, you wake up every morning and you do the work, you know. I, I write from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. every single day, you know, and, and that's how you do I, Like, I've never been able to do that at freaking all. I kind of wait for the feeling, which some writers call lazy, and they're probably right. Um, you but, wait for the inspiration. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I, I accumulate the stuff, you know, I make little notes to myself forever that just kind of make me happy. Um, cause I, I'm, I'm selfish in a way. I'm there, There's like, I, I, I tell myself stories, you know, mm-hmm. and then some of them I, I hang on to and, and, and share later on or whatever. Um, it, it feels a little self-indulgent sometimes. Um, but, um, at this point after, yeah, 30 years of my, picking at writing I guess I'm old enough now not experienced enough but old enough to sort of like make fun of the person I was when I got into writing when I was like 14 15 um and you did that in the you're reminding me of I think your essay in volume nine which is I think in the climbing zine book you're you're one of the few you I think you're the only person had two essays that I took two essays for the climbing zine book. But yeah, you're, you're talking about being 15 and being like, well, what's cool and, and discovering climbing in this kind of now forgotten era of no information and just going on what you see around you. And you did that in Durango. Climbing and writing fully happened at the same time for me. And, um, and I'm, I'm both proud and embarrassed to admit it was probably because of Jack Kerouac, et cetera, Dude. you know, cause I'll, I'll fully be like, you know, if I want to like pigeonhole some poor hipster kid who's like sitting in the coffee shop here one day when I'm feeling crusty <laughs> at like seven in the morning, I'm like, yeah, I bet you freaking moved out here from the Midwest. You got your copy of on the road in your back pocket and blah, blah, blah. You know, like I was fully that kid, you know, like, and I moved out here from Texas and I had some Lawrence Ferlinghetti, you know, and, like I loved Arma Bums, you know, and, um, and, and it was a, it was a big deal to me. Um, I liked, um, Shit, I don't know if I wrote it down, so I feel like kind of a dork if I'm quoting myself, but I know I've said it before to somebody, maybe to you. So I was like, I know this is a conversation with someone. It mattered to me, like like really talking writing. But I, I, I remember thinking or saying or something to somebody, when I read Kerouac, I think everybody should write. But when I read like, uh, like, like Mann or Hess, I think nobody should write except those guys, you know, like... Um, so, so he just made it very easy, you know, um, he made it seem like, look, you know, can you tell a story? Can you sit around a campfire? Can you like hang out in your buddy's living room, 15 beers deep and bong hits and whatever, and, and, and just tell a cool story, you know? And oh my God, that, that particular slice that I just like flicked out there or whatever, you know, I, I went to high school in 1990, you know, graduated in 95 or whatever but there's a slice in history you know being some i don't know some stoner skateboard kid in the 90s you say that's and and all these like memories flood back to you or whatever and your your era is suddenly defined and blah 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 it's the same shit with kerouac or anybody else like oh beatniks oh that was must have been so cool you know um but like, like like that 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 uh owen wilson movie uh, midnight in paris everybody's got their era Mm-hmm. that they think was the coolest. 
Um, and man, I, th- I think it was, uh, what's his name? The dude who wrote, uh, oh, that savage guy. Like, um, he wrote the, the Hagakure. Um, and he was, he, he, he had some little, little blurb in there. The, the whole thing is, is that a book? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's something about like, I think it's like the, the book of fallen leads or something like that. Samurai stuff, man. And this dude gotcha. was a bit of an extremist, you know, like he was a little wild in his views, but of course that was part of his era. Uh, anyways, he, he had a little blurb in this book full of blurbs. That was something about like the spirit of an age. And here's a dude that's like 800 years ago talking about, or I don't know how long, but at least 400, I want to say, <laughs> who's talking about like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are yearning for a return to something 50, 100 years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, all right. Well, apparently this is not new, you know? Right. And, uh, and then he was like, you know, just don't miss the spirit of your age. You're here for a reason in this time and blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was a really long answer to say Jack Kerouac and everybody's got their uh, their slice that they're stuck with, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it's funny because I know we have talked about writing, and Jack Kerouac would be the, the seed that was planted for me in high school. Nice Midwest kid, everything you just <laughs> yeah. described. Yes, dude, yeah. that was me. But <laughs> I, I I think that's so interesting that you said Jack Kerouac, and then you mentioned some authors that I have not read. Because I think what you do well is that you do tell a story, but then you also go, and maybe that's just how your mind works. Because I, when, I, when you first started sending stories to me, I assumed that you edited, 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 and like were this, um, they call it FWE, fuck with it, endlessly oh. type of writer. When really, that's just your style, and you, you say you're, you're basically like, for lack of a better term, kind of on-site writing. Um, you know what? It, it, it's kind of funny too because I think. And and let me sorry, I don't I don't want to I want to give more context from the conversation we had that you shared with me. You'll just write on a laptop like in a car or something, which sometimes. I found just just messed with my head yeah. so much because I I remember you kind of looking at me being like yeah for real <laughs> and I love that and you know. Um, so I wanted to give the context, the context for the listener of, of previous conversations we've had of your writing style is very much when it hits you and you could be in a car. Um, or <laughs> I, man, I got to say I'm a little bit lazy in that respect, but also like I, I feel like there's kind of a lot of uh, other facets of my life that I, I'm, I'm sort of going to approach the same way, like... <clears throat> eating or drinking or going climbing or, or trying something, you know, like I feel like riding a bike, you know, I, I want mm-hmm. it to sort of come to me and it, you know, I guess it sort of feels like, uh, I don't know, just dance around with what's given to you or something. I'm not a surfer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I think you're, I mean, obviously you're someone who does uh, a variety of different things. You're not just a writer and, and I don't think hardly any of the, um, the writers I work with just write these days. Uh, even, you know, I think kinda about some, <laughs> yeah, kind of hard to, and, and I think about some great writers that they just, they, they work in other, other mediums, but I, I think you're a good one to study. Like when people are like, what, what, what kind of submissions do you take for the zine? And I'm like, well, read the fucking zine. Yeah, yeah. And I would tell someone to read you because 
yeah, you 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 come you combine you know, and maybe like I said, maybe that's how your brain works. Of you combine this like it's prose, it's dancing, it's you know, that's what a, a writer or uh, uh, my writing mentor George Sibley was like. Let your words sing. Let your words dance. Like you're so you're doing this thing with your writing, but you're not so abstract because you're telling a climbing story. So you got to start somewhere, whether it's you know, the hidden dragon story where you're talking about these climbers who um, are these these low-key underground heroes like John Duran, um, who are just as strong as the the professional climbers, but they're just, they're low-key. Um, and, and that, and you, you said like a samurai <laughs> or something, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, one of the, one of the people you, you described was, you described him like a samurai that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> un- unknown, and he'll kill you. exactly exactly um but i i think that's and i'll stop flattering you here in a minute and (laughs) we'll start talking about the creek or something but i I guess uh, i want to say like i I like i i I lean pretty heavily on free association and i don't have any formal writing education beyond like a junior year creative writing class yeah um where i had a really great and super chill teacher tom Byrne, freaking Uh awesome guy was here in Durango for years, um, passed away a few years ago. Um, but yeah, great dude and just really pleasant and a good writer of, uh, funky science fiction. And, um, you know, he was a good motivator, but like, yeah, free association and like, have you ever had the discussion with like, uh, did you go to school for writing at all? Did you? Same thing. No, I had a high school teacher, Mm -hmm. um, but I had, I had writing mentors in college, Okay. but I was so stubborn and so ADD and smoked so much weed in college that, uh, that I didn't, I didn't learn the, (laughs) yeah, I I didn't learn the, uh, the rules of writing and I don't have a writing degree. Yeah. took the words out of my mouth yeah. um because like I- i'm sure you've you know submitted and worked with decent sized magazines before and um, what's a I, magazine yeah right <laughs> I- i'm sure you've come across some editors before that are like no dude you don't do this you can't do this you know john well, fahey uh, uh, really? you know that do you know yeah. that name yeah, yeah. yeah. Of the mountain gazette me? yeah he's a hero <laughs> he yeah he For changed real. my life um if you don't know who john fahey is he's uh the old editor of the mount gazette and definition of the word crusty i would say uh, totally, in, in a good way totally fair. in you, a good way you want this dude to like make fun of you walking past his front porch yeah at yeah. dawn in silverton or some shit you know? right like he's, um he's but kind he, of a mountain character he told me he he's like dude if you want to be a writer get a get a job huh. writing and that's what that's what i did Interesting. but I, I think the the lesson in in your writing to anyone who's like listening who wants to write is you 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 need that spark of inspiration and you need a little bit of structure um but if you read a lot which i'm guessing you do or have in the past not so much the last couple of years yeah no yeah. I'm, I'm the same way i'm a very slow reader but um just the combination of those things um can can make the the right equation to be because maybe people maybe read your articles and assume that Chris has been st- has a uh, MFA in creative writing. <laughs> yeah, not, um, if, not if they're editors. I think they would be like, "Why are you using <laughs> alliteration? That's illegal." <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, what did you use uh, when it, you you were the first person that's ever made me get out a dictionary in an Instagram post? Oh, you use the word lacquered and liquored, and I was like, "Damn, Chris, <laughs> that's too good for Instagram." <laughs> uh, you know, I, I shit you not. There's some things that I just kind of put back that I don't want to just uh, throw away on a post. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's you know that's kind of a, a thing too, like motivation. You know, like. Yeah. Where does it want to go? Where do you want to spend it? You know, um, but yeah, free association, motivation. What else rhymes with that? <laughs> 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 but in, in concluding, kind of this this part of the conversation, I just want to say thank you. You know, like um, thank you. You 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 know gave me fodder. Like when I think I've told you you and several other writers, like you're probably among, there's probably 10 or less writers that have written several articles for the zine that have been good. And then for me, it's like, this is what I wanted all along. I wanted a voice like a Chris Schulte or, you know, a Birch Malaki or Kathy Carlo or, you know, Lucas Roman, Vic Salmon. I freaking love Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy's great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, you know, yours, is the zine that I read because it is a reading zine, you know, yeah. like a, a, a lot of climbing magazines over the years are pretty heavy on like, you, you know, their travel reports for mm-hmm. the most part, uh, trip reports, area reports. And then we, you know, we give you like what's hard, what's going on out there. And every now and again, we'll like pick and dig into something deep, you yeah, know, which yeah. is usually like an accident or, uh, you know, some, momentous historical event whether mm-hmm. it's new or old you know and that's sort of been the formula and and the zine has been one for like telling stories that m- more share in, in, in a in a in a candid and, and social manner kind of who we are as climbers you know um and it's not bracketed by any like requirements and whatever. And, and I've said over the years that, you, you know, um, <laughs> yours has always been my favorite to write for because you kind of just let me shoot my mouth off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, <laughs> I think, I think you've sent me like one edit back like once you know, <laughs> you changed like two words or something or like I missed some punctuation. I was like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're hard you're hard to edit because because I do do a lot of editing um, with other writers, um, but you're you're difficult to edit. But you're like you said you've been writing for thirty years. You're um, you're like a aged wine or or something like that. Are you just afraid I'm going to argue with you? If if, if you send me some edits, I'm going to be like. Well, dude, <coughs> no, here's why. <laughs> I'm, I'm not afraid of any writer in that context. You're just, Good. yeah, it comes out the way it does. And, <laughs> and that's that's probably a process that's been developed over a long period of time, I would imagine. It's like asking somebody who writes a song or something, like, how'd you write this great song? And Robert Hunter will just be like, well, it just came out of me and there it was. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I told you last time we talked about this. Like, it sort of has to like be falling out of me yeah. before I like actually write it down, you know. And, and which is always kind of funny. Like, I've always looked at other writers. Um, like, I dropped a couple fancy names earlier, but like, I think about the ones, um, and I, you know, I I wouldn't want to classify them out loud, but like, <laughs> there are some writers out there that are like, oh, the stories are just 
bursting out of me, you know, mm-hmm. and I just never could feel that. I'm like, no, really, you really have to tell someone really that bad. You have to tell someone this yeah. story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have the story. It's in there. It's yeah. all upstairs. You got it. And it's yours. And it's perfect. It's tailored for you because you fucking made it. You know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> just tell yourself a story. Be okay. Go to sleep. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because my writing process is before I was a spreadsheets and email guy. Because <laughs> if, if anyone wants to know what I do at the zine and, you know, you could look, Chris, is, we're at my house right now. You can look around and see all the envelopes and stacks. Is, but if I am writing, um, because you can, you can carve out writing and um, something actually I came across recently was an Anthony Bourdain quote, which I know mm, you, you're a fan. fan of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. Um, when he wrote his book, he got his book contract he landed the home run with a book contract that usually never happens to most people. Um, he would write an hour every morning before he went to his 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. cooking shift. God. And he wrote a book. Uh, and that that's my process these days is I take that hour yeah. and write. Um, but you I have to take it. I have to. I have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I. And that's taking it seriously. You know, I respect the shit out of that, you know, because like, I don't know, like. Shit, man, I've known you for a few years now. Mm-hmm. You've made a zine. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you work other writing projects. And you've written a handful of books, you know, like, because you've done the work. I respect it. But that's also the type of writer that I am. Sure, um, sure. Is, yeah. is that I had, when I when I had more time to write, like the first year I lived in Durango, um, back when you couldn't get a job in the last economic <laughs> crisis, now... Gosh, you can get a job the anywhere. Was that was like three crises ago. Yeah, yeah. The the mortgage crisis of 2008 to 2011. Yeah. Um, I I wrote like four hours a morning wow. every day for a year. Wow. Um, wow. But I don't have that time and space anymore. But that's, I think that's for the for the people that listen to this. That there's two. There's a million options. But my poetry though is this. My poetry has to hit me. I'm never gonna sit down and write a poem. Right. Yeah, um, that would like feel a, like third grade. Or yeah, like yeah, your right. Assignment is yeah. <laughs> and use the word blue. Totally. Yeah. Um, but you know, I when when it was interesting because you first kind of came on my radar. Like, I think I just knew who you were because you know you, you've been a professional climber for a long time. But there's a lot of professional climbers, and then when I moved to Durango, you were like a local guy. Like, I knew you had lived here, and I think our our paths didn't quite cross, but I just like knew who you were. And then I think when you really started coming on my radar is when you were like living in the Creek one winter. Mm. And I was like, man, this, this guy's cool. Like he's, uh, he, he's in it. And that's when you started doing the Indian Creek bouldering. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the same, our paths never cross in the Creek. Like, I don't think we've ever hung out besides like that one day we like lent you some oil on the super crack parking lot for your truck or something, you know? That's right. That's right. Um, Cause as you say, you still have my Leatherman. (laughs) (laughs) Do I? (laughs) Do I really? (laughs) Um, You know, as you wrote one time, the desert is big. I think I've maybe used that line as well. Hopefully you're not going to sue me over the desert is big or maybe the Creek is big. But the creek is big and the desert is big and it's busy these days. But both of us go to the hinterlands, a word Chris Caloose used last mm-hmm. weekend when he was describing where we climb. Um, yeah, just I'd, I'd love to hear um, your your love for that place. I know you've written about it a lot 
and we were just talking about before the mics were on, you know, you've been, you've been out in the world, you've been living in LA, you've, you've seen, you know, the fires that are happening and, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of bummer things that, you know, kind of, we talked about before we started recording, but what, what does the medicine of the Creek mean to you? What mm. does the magic mean? And, um, yeah, I, I guess I will, um, I'll, build on at first uh you were saying like well you know i've been out in the creek and you were out in the creek and kind of never really run into each other and that like that very thing right there kind of means a lot to me because mm-hmm. i'm glad you're doing your thing yeah i'm doing my thing mm-hmm. you know maybe i'll see you at camp in the evening or something mm-hmm. like that like i love um i mean it's cool to go out with a crew or whatever and your crews shift and change or whatever but I don't know. I'm I'm always really uh glad, like satisfied with rock climbing when when like I meet people who are out in these hinterlands whatever and and they're just doing their thing. Like that means a lot. Um but I guess uh yeah, to to dig in um <clears throat> well I guess what what does it mean um for starters for you like why why do you feel that urge cuz i feel that urge to to get away and explore and find first a sense um i know i'm kind of piling questions on questions but because it's there right <laughs> you know so there's a writer that uh is really fun um do you know Trevanian? uh he wrote you you do know him but you might not know that you know him you're going to um, have to make me a list at the end of this Trevanian uh did the Iger sanction <laughs> yeah. and shibumi and I don't know what else. Wrote the Iger Sanction. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's he's pretty funny, pretty clever guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of his lines in one of his books. Oh, wait, no. Son of a bitch. I have to take that all back. We have to cut that out and edit it because it wasn't <laughs> Trevanian. It was John Le Carre. Okay. Um, who is like the quintessential spy novel author. Like if you, if, if all spy novels were lost, as long as we still had John Le Carre, mm-hmm. we'd be okay. You know, mm-hmm. um, he wrote everything from like the Russia House, which ended up being you know John Connery and uh, Sean Connery and uh, 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 Michelle Pfeiffer in the eighties, um, to like uh, uh, the Tailor of Panama or whatever. Anyways, one of his characters in one of his books is talking about climbing mountains or whatever, and he's like, because it's there, you know, the, the Mallory right. thing, or yeah. whatever. And he's like, that's a bunch of bollocks, you know. It's, it's mountain. It's because the climbers are there. The mountain doesn't give a fig. <laughs> no, I thought that was pretty clever. But, yeah. Um, where were we? Well, you um, know, I, I, I bombarded you with too many questions, but what I'm, what I'm trying to get at... Let me backpedal. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, All so right, yeah, yeah. Let me backpedal yeah. half a second. And, and, like, I'll say, because this is pertinent. Apart from just a few days ago, I haven't been to the creek in two years. Yeah, we're hearkening back to medicine, <laughs> you know, like, right. um, I don't know if any of you have noticed, but um, things have been a little weird over the last <laughs> uh, 957 months or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long it's been. Um, it's all kind of started to schmoo together. Um, yeah, I I took a job in California. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I have sort of a, a real job on top of being a climber. And uh, I met a girl in October who, incidentally, was also from California. 
I'm like, wow, winds are blowing west, you know, mm-hmm. let's check, yeah, California's great, I've climbed there for years, let's mm-hmm. check it out. Mm-hmm. And so I make the move out there, and, um, and then COVID kicks off in earnest. Uh, while we were on what was supposed to be a four-week trip to, uh, to shoot some video and do an article on Caterese, uh, trad climbing in northern Italy. Mm-hmm. So we flew into Paris. Drove down to Fontainebleau, spent a couple days there climbing in Font. Yes, awesome. Well, we woke up the next morning and Italy is closed. I'm like, wow, well, there's those two projects and a significant chunk of my income for the next year. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it's a little rainy in Font. Let's go down to Switzerland for a few days. We can still, you know, hang out there and distance ourselves. Mm -hmm. Tiny towns, not being around people. We'll get a little place somewhere and just see what happens Mm -hmm. and we were there maybe two days before austria closed germany closed france closed switzerland closes to everybody you know and um then we get the text from the department of fear and intimidation saying come home now or risk staying indefinitely and this is during the time when like you're seeing um on on instagram everybody's like well there's no more toilet paper and oh we just you know rushed to get home and the airports are like Packed, you know, the lines are like 12 wide and 2,000 deep, and everybody's like, no one's wearing a mask, and you know, we're all signing these declaration forms that say we don't have COVID with the same pen, and like, <laughs> and so we're looking at this, and there's no food on the shelves, and we're like, I, I, I don't know if you've heard, but Switzerland is sort of known to be a little bit organized, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was just. Uh, a little bit different um the level of social um responsibility was so much higher mm-hmm. we just really felt cozy and uh and we got an unbelievable amount of luck uh with with an airbnb like got to know grandma who owned the place and was like fixing the boiler and the dishwasher and all this other stuff and got to stay in this beautiful place and uh, also with the with the help of our friends Cat and Martin who live up near Zurich, we stayed with them a couple of weeks, and and it worked out. Anyways, I'm telling a Texan story here. I'm making my way in circles around the. Point. You are from Texas. I I am uh, <laughs> originally, <laughs> so um, it's okay. It's okay. But anyhow, all this stuff has been happening for like two years straight, from work to this uh, this pandemic to like. All of the funny things in our life, the little things, um, you know, from like supply chain issues all the way up to like huge things that we have swept under the rug as, uh, you know, both socially and politically for a hell of a long time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things bubbling to the surface right now that are long overdue. Um, and as a result, I've been kind of hiding out in California for the most part, working a lot and um, also on fire a lot. Anyways, the point is I haven't been to the creek in two years, and and this is my like this is my place. You know, it's it, it was the first real climbing trip I went on. You know, it's an hour and a half away if you drive fast from here. For sure, it's two hours away. Yeah, <laughs> two and a half to Supercat, right? I don't know how it's fast you drive half, though. Yeah. I've never been in a car with you. Oh man, <laughs> uh, Mike Shepard will know someday. He had a I think it was a Mazda. Uh, let's set some records. Um, anyhow. Um, just went back a couple of days ago and you know it, it's an interesting 
an interesting sensation knowing how you're going to feel when you get there. Knowing that, all right, it's been a long time. All right, here's what I hope is going to happen, but here's, here's how I know I'm going to feel in a way. And then just sort of having to like step back from that and let yourself experience life <laughs> rather than, you know, uh, uh, predicting it in a way. Um, anyhow, getting out there, one of the nicest parts was like rolling in and of course it's fall so like the trees are all yellow it's gorgeous down there right now but I was like damn there are a lot of people it's crazy busy you know um, I don't know if that happened in the last two years. I've heard about it. I do work in the climbing industry. <laughs> they are saying there are a lot more people climbing now than ever before. Um, as a, yeah, I, I could go on. Um, anyhow, I'm like, wow, there's a car parked in every random gorilla, like dancing the edge of okay, pull out everywhere here. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. But day one, just went on the little walk, you know, and got into the backcountry, and the creek was just the same as I'd left it, which, um, honestly, the reliability of the creek is, like, exactly what I feel there and what I go for. Like, you, what, um, uh, one of my, uh, one of my friends, he, he works for Black Diamond in Austria, but when he came out, um, he was like, it's just like you said, it's, you're standing in time, you know, and, and you can feel it. You can stand there and, and see how the sands have been cut away. You can see where, holy cat, someone lived here. They built an amazing apartment that I would love to have right here, you know, um, and then hang on, here's some old fencing and here's some cowboy graffiti, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to petroglyphs and pictographs and, and, you know, the six inch white crystal spear point I found in the dirt one day and was like, holy cats, you know, like this place is, um, which I, I'm assuming you left. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I think it's an important thing to, to note cause I'm it's hard to on that real yeah, quick because yeah, yeah, that's yeah, something yeah. that messed with me for freaking years. I was like, what? But don't you want to preserve this and make sure? Uh, well, you know, one of my friends, um, one of my DNA friends explained to me, he's like, look, this is actually part of a system. You know, you don't mm -hmm. pull, he didn't use these words, but more or less he was like, you don't really like pull a, a planet out of a solar system and expect the solar system to be the same. Mm -hmm. Like all of these things, they, they landed here, they ended up here, they whatevered here, they were stashed here, they were put here this is part of a system and mm -hmm. everything that is in the system makes up the feeling and therefore the, 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 the gravity, the importance of a place. I was like, damn, well said, you got me. Mm -hmm. I'm not picking up arrowheads, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that, that's, that was really good. And um, like the, the pottery that's, that's there was often cracked as an offering to the gods. And then a, a, a place, the, the pottery was left there to show that they were in that place and it's part of a story. And like you, you said it more eloquently quoting your friend, but um, it, it all should remain there. Nothing should ever be taken away from these places. And who was it that did the article on the, the, the rope? Um, the that's rope. so funny. I was just reposting that today. Um, so this is the a, coincidence of the zine. No, it was crazy because 
I was working on volume 15 and Len Nessifer sent me a uh-huh. story that involved the ancestral Puebloan use of yucca ropes. Yes. And then Josh Ewing also wrote a story that involved okay. the... Because yeah. Len's, Len's my bro. Absolutely love that guy. And, and um, I was like, shit, I'm sitting here right now and we're actually talking about it. It counts right now. Who the hell wrote that? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... Um, Kind of, you know, adjacent to that, one of the coolest things that I have discovered apropos of rock climbing and, and your place in time, our place in time, everyone's place in time in this in this ditch that's like just a timeline of humanity by virtue of erosion and, and rock climbing. Um, one of the coolest things I found, there's this square ice cube of a boulder it's probably 10 or 12 feet high dead ass the easiest way to get up this thing is a v3 boulder problem and there are napping shards of flint on the top of this thing no kidding somebody a long time ago climbed a v3 and sat up on top of this big old square and just you know tuned up some arrows what have you whatever that's great um and man that that's that means a lot to me i don't i don't i don't quite uh yeah yeah there's a a kinship of being a climber to people who perhaps climbed for completely different reasons but for whatever reason we feel this kinship because you're in the same place and Um, Often they were climbing um, in, you know, like some of the Moki steps Mm -hmm. that have been built that also use yucca ropes. It was probably in pretty, (laughs) yeah, chippers. (laughs) Root manufacturers. No. Um, They're probably in heady times of survival and and perhaps, you know, warring with other humans that humans all seem to do that. Sure, Um, sure. Yeah, we were a mess at the same time over in Europe. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But yeah, if you're looking for more information on that in volume 15, there's some uh, great stories by those two gentlemen um, that we just noted. Um, And so when you're like, when did your quest, because I think your, your name is very much associated with bouldering in Indian Creek and you're the only person I can really think of that goes out there consistently over time um, how did that start? Because I know in, in one of the, the zines you wrote about just kind of the stereotypical creek climbers that climb more, that drink more PBRs in one day yeah. than climb pitches, and I used yeah. to be one of those people too. Um, but then you're like, wow, there's these beautiful boulders that no one's looking at. Um, mm-hmm. Was it as simple as that, where your your fascinated with your fascination with Indian Creek bouldering began? You know, I can answer this from two directions right now, and both of them are a little bit pointy. Um, <laughs> uh, one, yeah, I'm going to laugh for a second about the people who are like, oh, yeah, we're only bouldering today. It's a rest day. And I'm like, damn, you know, the, the B scale starts at 510, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but then also, like, you know, I could be some, like, new school bouldering punk about it or whatever. But I could also, you know, harken back to one of the bits that I wrote, maybe for you. Yeah. Um, like, the the guys that put up super crack luxury liner what did they do that morning well they were warming up on the boulders in fringe of death canyon where you used to be able to just drive your car right up to the boulders and camp like right there um but yeah like uh, you know i've never been able to get my head around this huge division 
within. It's a manufactured division. It's it's clickishness and it's a weakness of our own societal norms or whatever. It's bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm a boulderer. Oh, I'm a trad climber. Oh, I'm a sport. Wh- wh- whatever. You know, like, do you like climbing? That's something that I've always, you know, uh, you don't have to like any of them. You know, uh, can't. Can you make your entire entire identity off of like what kind of climbing you like? Well, sure, go right ahead. Um, but you know, you can walk to some pretty great sport climbing areas in Boulder Canyon, which I can venture to say is like, you know, fairly climbed out. <laughs> it's <laughs> had a little traffic over the years, and you can walk up to some sport climbing area and put up an outstanding V eleven. Or, well, you know, you used to be able to. I think now you have to walk a little bit further. But, um. And you don't mind walking. No, I that, love think that's walking. the. I love walking. When you describe Indian Creek bouldering, <coughs> it, there's not really clusters of too many boulders, right? Mm, I mean, they do exist. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, like, our process and our being, like, a pretty small handful of folks. Uh, most of whom are from or spent a good stint in Durango. Um, us just picking a canyon and being like, this is what we're looking up today, whether mm-hmm. it's a main canyon or a side canyon or a section, or we're going, you know, two miles in, we're going four miles, six miles in, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you have to because, I mean, you know, what did you think the first time you went out to the creek? You were like, there's, there's so many cracks, dude. You could yeah. never climb all these. And, um, you know, for every one of those cracks, there's, you know, there's a little side canyon, finger canyon, micro turn, whatever, like, that you have to look up. So, yes, there are clusters, but also you can walk a long ways for, like, the gym. Mm-hmm. And th- personally, that's, that's like, what I'm looking for, me. Like, I don't, it's cool to have a place. Like, around here, we've got, like, Turtle Lake and Sailing Hawks, and you can circuit you know, you can go out with like a little rag for your shoes and a chalk bag and like do a hundred problems. Mm-hmm. That's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. But you know, I I want to find the thing, you know, mm-hmm. the line or whatever that's worth like the big walk and figuring it out on top rope and hauling the pads with the friends and like okay, every all you know, the moon is just right, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> but and you um, like conditions of. Like crisp. Well, I like the cold. You like the cold, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. So can, it's 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 not exactly a, a year-round place, but but yeah, I, I I like being able to get out there. But like to harken back, I guess to like where how did it kick off? Why bouldering? Um, so the the first time I went to the creek um, was actually to ride dirt bikes, and I had my little Colorado rack, which was like you know a set of singles or doubles at the most, maybe. And so we did the few like 50 and 60 foot things like Beanu's crack and stuff that we could do. Um, And then kind of when we ran out of short routes with varying crack sizes, you know, uh, we just went bouldering. And that was a long time ago now. That was, I don't know, mid 90s, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I always poked at these things, but... um, there was a real turning point to when after a minute of like going up to Joe's Valley or something like that or Moab, I kept being like, man, I want to go to the creek. You know, I'm not, I, I know what's down there. I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for. I got friends down there. I still kind of like crack climbing. It's kind of cool. But I want to 
look around. I know there's bouldering there. And of course there's bouldering there. They're freaking massive. <laughs> and that was kind of one of the big hurdles to get over mm-hmm. is like, look, you gotta, you got to throw a rope over. you got to clean this thing. you got to top rope this thing. Um, you, you, you have to like learn how to climb on soft stone. Mm-hmm. You know, like cams ripping the creek. Yeah, mm-hmm. tiny freaking edges ripping the creek, I'll tell you. Like, so you get a lot of feature climbing, which I like as it is. Um, I don't know. I guess altogether it, it was like a, a, a slow boil and, and uh, a, a sifting of ingredients that, that led me to like actually putting the time in and getting the pads out to some of these these just really proud monsters out there that you really they're just like they're dream lines out there you know and um yeah there was a there, there was a lot of time and a lot of effort sort of invested and also just kind of ridden through you know it, sometimes it was deliberate and sometimes it just happened whatever um but yeah that's that's how it happened <laughs> You must have done a lot of hiking in the winter where you just mm. lived in the creek. Because <clears throat> uh, we, we talk about how busy it is in the creek, but it really is busy for three or four months out of the year, um, mid-October till Creeksgiving if the weather holds, and then the spring, you know, um, April to right. May or something. March, Even May can be March chill ish. out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like maybe mid-March. So you're, if you go to the creek... In the winter, I've had friends, you know, I had a friend that was out there in February from Bishop. Mm-hmm. He's like, no one's out here. Yeah. I can't find any partners. He's like, yeah, dude, it's February. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> extra cold in the winter, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does hurt. Um, so you must have done a significant amount of hiking that one winter when you were just living out there. Huh? Uh, yeah, there were a couple yeah. of winters where I was just in that region and kind of bouncing around the region and, you know, um, moving camp and doing all, you know, I try to cross my eyes and dot my t's and stuff um but um there were some stretches out there where it would be like wow the high today is like 16 mm-hmm. um the sun's coming out i guess i will walk this canyon mm-hmm. you know because it's on the list it's on mm-hmm. the list of things to do um but yeah that just comes with the like <laughs> kind of weird lighthousey <laughs> sort of vibe of being somewhere a long time on your own. Like there were, I, I, I'm not kidding. There were some days where I would wake up and be like, "Huh, it snowed about six inches," and I would jump in my little forerunner and drive up and down the road a couple of times just to break through the snow and expose some asphalt so it would warm up enough and the <laughs> yeah. snow would melt faster. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm the only person out there. Like, the, there's, there's not even any cowboys coming off the ranch or anything like that. Nothing. It's like. Here's what we're doing today. <laughs> yeah, I've I've spent a little bit of time out there in the winter too, and it's almost like you feel like you're the only person on the planet or something. <laughs> it's a different planet, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice and then sometimes it's too much headspace. Yeah, it gets yeah. a little it gets a little weird out I there. I guess it depends emotionally where you're at mm-hmm. in your life, you know. Um but dude, I you know, I kind of going back to talking about the problems of the world. There's, there's so much going on and and there's so many, it's so hard to feel like we make a difference. I have noticed that you, you, you do seem like you are a climbing activist. Um, I know you're, you're trying to highlight what you think is good, what you think people should know. You participate in a lot of access fund stuff. Um, the Kragen classic, you're like a reachable professional climber 
to the general public uh, and, and you give that a voice. And I've seen you in a suit at the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> um, where, and I know it's, it's, you say like you're, you're hard on yourself about certain things. And I'm sure you, you, you feel like many of us, I don't feel like I do enough with activism. I know I, I try to do what I can, but what, what, how has that evolved for you over the years from maybe just being, yeah, like a kid who was a 17 year old climber to, oh, I should probably participate in some sort of way and, and advocate for what I believe in. Wow, uh, where did that start? That's a big question. Cause like I started climbing here in Durango mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like the weird crew of boulders I was hanging out with then in, you know, starting in like 93, four five, something like that. Like, they didn't even use grades, you know. They're <laughs> like, "That's a good warm up, and that one's super hard. That one's great." Um, so, and, and there was also this like kind of vibe, like sailing hawks was private back then, right? Yeah. So our main climbing you know? area in Durango, up until what was it, two thousand two or three or something? I thought or? it was even later. Even later, again, yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was private property. Private now property. it's open space. So you had to literally trust, and it's it's like. We're in my house. I live on off Main. You know, we could be at this area in five minutes. So five it's, it's minutes basically in city trail. limits, and it was <laughs> it was private property. That's that's crazy. There were stories of like people would talk about. Well, did you see the dude on the horse? Right. So like, <laughs> yeah, allegedly the guy who owned it or was adjacent to the owner used to like ride around on a horse with a gun, packing right. a pistol. <laughs> yeah. You know, like what you doing out here? Well, don't mess anything up. Like, and I never saw the guy. And I don't yeah. know twenty years of climbing there or whatever. But um, anyways, to come to the point, when I started. I'm doing this thing. I'm out here climbing. You know, who cares? What am I going to do? Try to figure out who and ask permission? And I don't know. Like, just we're just out here climbing. Nobody cares. It's Colorado, right? Or something like that. And also, I was probably like 15, I think, when I was started climbing. And I moved up from Texas to where, like, you can't go anywhere if you're not trespassing. You right. know? <laughs> so right. at the time you rely on being a kid, just jumping barbed yeah. wire fences over here, you know, like yeah. watch out for the bull and, you know, somebody's pasture, blah, blah, blah. But um, so kind of coming up like that here, even with like the ice climbing and stuff, there's some random stuff like, what is it? Uh, highway robbery and stuff on the side of the road up here. You're hmm. like, well, it's, it's not like, you're not walking through somebody's property to get mm-hmm. to this thing, but everyone knows about it and it's just a thing that you do and mm-hmm. it's been cool so far. I don't know. I, I guess I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I felt like a little bit of a rebel or something where I was like, I'm just doing this, you know, and I'm low impact. I'm not a freaking idiot. I grew up in the woods. So yeah, I'm just out here climbing. Like um, as an individualist. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. And, and again, like real light touch, you know, like yeah. walking carefully all the time mm-hmm. you know it's just what you do in the woods it's mm-hmm. how i was brought up mm-hmm. you know i i grew up hunting and fishing and camping and all this other stuff mm-hmm. I, the, the climbing came like years after you know mm-hmm. um but then over time when i started traveling i guess and seeing proper climbing areas you know like go out to the creek or or joe's valley or little cottonwood canyon or something like that because those were like my first trips mm-hmm. um and seeing well damn okay well this is what a busy climbing area looks like this is what uh impact at a climbing area looks like um start going out to like bishop 
and staying out there for a season, you know, climbing at the milks, happies, whatever. Whoa, this is like a, a, an internationally recognized climbing area with uh, a particular season during the bouldering groundswell in America of the early 2000s. Like, whoa, there are a lot of us and bless our hearts. Some of us are just dumb you know, <laughs> and, and not just like, you know, they're not like mean, dumb. They just don't know, you know, Unaware of, course, of well, some impact. people are mean, dumb too. Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I really started looking around at things like that and I, I will probably lean a little bit on like, I worked in landscape construction for a long time. And so when it comes to like erosion and drainage and stuff like that, <laughs> slope maintenance, I'm like, there's a problem here, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I feel like it was a combination of things that sort of led me towards like, you know, should, should probably flick out some little bits of information here mm -hmm. now and again. And, you know, we've been lucky over the years, like as, you, you know, gang, companies aren't freaking dumb, you know, gyms aren't dumb. Everybody knows that we need gym to crag, crag education. And basically we're all figuring out how to like package it and pay for it is what it comes down to. Um, you see this all the time, you know, pick up any thread anywhere about something went wrong climbing and there's going to be 8 million comments on how it's the gym's responsibility or climb your company's responsibility to educate these people. Actually, no, <laughs> it's kind of not, but they are spending a ton of money in figuring out how to educate, you know, everyone from like you people who really care and you really want to know do you freaking jerks that just will not listen you don't care mm -hmm. you know um and unfortunately that's that is what we get because the bigger climbing gets the the more people get into it you know we're gonna get more of the good and more of the bad like and um god just be on the team you know i guess that's that's what i would say but you know, working with people like um, the Access Fund, the American Alpine Club, um, the 510 and Adidas and uh, Black Diamonds, uh, 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 Rock Project was mm -hmm. an awesome initiative. And that ran for a couple of years, yeah. you know. And uh, the thing about Jim DeCrag, though, and here's where I'll like kind of point at the companies and the gyms, you know, and away from the people, <laughs> is like we have to keep doing this. You know, we can't do this just once. You know, we can't do a series. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't do an article. You know, we can't have an election. <laughs> yeah. And just sort shit out. Okay, yeah. we solved the blah, blah, blah. You yeah. know, like it's not like that mm -hmm. because we are people and there mm -hmm. are a lot of us and there's really good ones and there's some kind of shitty ones too. Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep being people. We're going to keep peopling real hard, mm -hmm. you know? So it just... To me personally, it gets a little bit tiresome because sometimes I'm like, how many freaking times do we need to save Oak Flats? Because right. that's been going on since I was a teenager. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know what? Um, places like copper companies or, you know, uh, huge political organizations, they have people that it's their life and their livelihood to try and you know get this land or take away these rights or like lease these spaces like 
this stuff just keeps happening mm -hmm. and we're here just like trying to live our lives and go rock climbing you know right. like it's it doesn't just kind of you know you don't just like tick the box and walk on like we're done here you know yeah like, well i i i know i've thanked you for a lot of things but yeah just thank you for your activism and, and just trying to be an example of a a good human out there. Um, I am curious just cause I have this image of you like next to Honnold in a suit at the Capitol. Um, and this might be a good, good place to kind of end on, but like, what, what was it like to be in the Capitol? And did you feel like you climbers voices were heard when you're, cause you're meeting with, it's, it's called climb the hill. Uh -huh. And, um, it has, it probably was virtually vir virtual the last couple years. Um, but what was it? Yeah, what was it? Did you feel like you were climbers were being heard in, in that um, those kind of settings where you're meeting with senators and? So that was my first one. The climb the hill thing's been going on um, for a long time, and uh, you know it's uh, what it's it's chiefly an access fund initiative and and uh, American Alpine Club kind of joint project. Totally, I think. yeah. I'm um, not quite sure what the balance is right, there of, yeah. of resources committed or whatever, but. Um, it was my first time like actually hunkering down with politicians or policymakers or, you know, so-and-so assistant head of the department of the interior or whatever, you know, um, it was, it was a roller coaster. Um, there were a lot of ups and downs where you're like, holy cats, you know, I remember one of the first things there was a, um, there was a, uh, a, a Utah senator, uh, you know, honestly, I wish I was better but uh, at remembering people's titles, but, um, you know, when you're sitting in front of somebody, they're just kind of a, a person in a way. But I will amend that to a certain extent here in a minute. Um, anyhow, this guy was going on about public lands and climate change and so on and so forth. And this might uproot some of you, but he was also a Republican, you know? Like, yeah. it, it was kind of funny to go there and, like, you know, see this this both sides of the aisle thing that people are always talking about, like mm -hmm. kind of get called into question or being utterly reinforced where you're like, well, this dude just doesn't want to hear it, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, start out that way and then find out like, holy cats, hang on, you have a place in Cortez? <laughs> And you like fly fishing? Do you ever fish on the Animus? Brother, let's have a beer. You know, and yeah, all of a sudden yeah, yeah, the ice yeah. is cracked and somebody that I would never, ever, ever want to hang out with yeah. might maybe want to listen to what I have to say. Yeah. Which is like, let us go climbing, blah, blah, blah. Like, pay attention to the people that were here before us, blah, blah, blah. Let's mm -hmm. just, let's give some consideration to something other than somebody that wants to you know drop a wellhead out there or something mm -hmm. like that and consider it as if you're considering your gold metal fishing waters on the animus mm -hmm. you know and, and sometimes it just takes like a little bit of storytelling mm -hmm. to like hit that level with somebody mm -hmm. and that's a really cool feeling mm -hmm. you know um and i liked it I'm, I'm not kidding i would probably be a lobbyist if i didn't have such a shitty police record um <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe we'll get into that one of these days. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, it it was interesting. It was bolstering. It also took some wind out of my sails now and again. And I made some great connections there and friendships there um, that, man, they're super, super important to me now. Um, but to pinpoint it all, 
down to that particular photo. That was actually kind of funny. Because um, it was a photo where, if I'm remembering correctly, it was like you and Honold in front of the Capitol or yeah, something, right? and, wearing and, suits. And Jim, who was the head of the American Alpine Club for many, many years, um, he... Uh, so we were... <laughs> I basically ran into these guys after a string of meetings um, with my access fund handholder, Eric. And um, I was like, damn, I need some lunch really bad. And like, oh, <laughs> Alex says, dude, we're going to lunch. Well, he doesn't say that this is actually a private lunch with limited seats in like <laughs> this super like place to be restaurant where, you know, this is where you hope your backroom meeting is yeah. in DC is in this particular restaurant. If I think about it long enough, I might be able to come up with the name, but you know, I don't know any of it. He's just like come to lunch. <laughs> and, you know, we've got this bro with us who's like an ex captain, uh, special forces. You know, he was commander of such and such valley in such and such province from you know 06 to 11, blah blah blah. And and he's like our security guy, slash liaison, slash drives us through all the barriers and whatnot. And now, one of my very, very good friends. Um, but anyhow, he's like, you want to take a picture on the steps of the Capitol? I'm like, dude, can we do that? He pulls the car right up front. I'm like, damn, this is pretty cool, you know? So we hop out and we take our little picture, you know, and then uh, and then we take off to lunch. And that's when I find out, like, oh, I'm actually not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, this is like Chris Winter from the Access Fund. Uh -huh. like, uh, a couple of senators and a governor and, like, and Alex and I think Sasha, uh, um, you know, and I'm just sitting here like hungry. <laughs> you know, everybody's doing their business lunch of like, oh yeah, I'll have the Caesar salad and a glass of water. And I'm like, uh, I need this steak. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> I'm really hungry. <laughs> but, um, um, that was, that was interesting. Um, there, there are a whole lot of, uh, that photos, that photo you're talking about, there were a whole lot of things going on at once and yeah um i think i'm like looking off in the distance in that photo and like yeah it was definitely caught processing the roller coaster of of my first trip to dc but um it was cool it um yeah like i said it, it and maybe to answer your question it, it both felt like you're making a difference and also like wow damn this is this is hard Mm -hmm. and it keeps going mm -hmm. it keeps going that's the important part yeah. it doesn't just like like i said you don't just wrap it up and deal with that problem and like okay we got it taken care of you know <laughs> like yeah well, you know look around us today we're like yeah. we are dealing with all the problems at once that we we should have dealt with like a long mm -hmm. time ago or we should be more vocal about you know and yeah and i guess when it to bring it back full circle to the creek and the creek is part of Bears Ears National Monument. Um, when there's that signing at the White House or whatever, you know, you see Chris Winter there in the background. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you That's know, cool. and it is cool. Like in, in Bears Ears is the first national monument to heavily work with a uh, uh, various coalition of tribes, you know, the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition. Right. And then it's the first national monument to have climbing written into the proclamation yes. and all this stuff doesn't just happen because some politician saw free solo no. it happens because these people you know, like tommy caldwell's meeting with the senator and and the access fund is doing this Showing work it. yeah and and i think you're maybe the first person i've interviewed that's been part of that 
um, that's been part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's cool to, yeah, it's cool to hear <laughs> about your, your free lunch with, uh, with Honold and then just what, what it's actually like. Cause yeah, I don't think I've ever actually talked. I don't think I've interviewed anyone who's like been part of that process at that level. I see, so, you know, I kind of want to like dig in and, and counter on that for, you know, five minutes if we can. I don't know. Of course. Press for time. Um, oh, a climber beer night. Let's see which clock is right. Yeah, we got 25 minutes till climber beer night. So kicking, we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> they can start without town. us. <laughs> yeah, small town. Yeah. <laughs> um, to uh, to 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 sort of like highlight a counterpoint to like these big focused invested trips where we're like, there's different teams from different regions and they're going to see these different politicians in these different regions and you know you drop in and. You know, can can we expect a, a yes vote on the core act and whatever? Um, one day, man, I was down in Joshua Tree getting ready for uh, Kenji Hartunian's uh, um, Joshua Tree Climb Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy's been a blessing for that whole area. But anyhow, um, I teach some clinics down there almost every year, and I got down in a, a, a day early, so I'm just out bouldering. And, you know, I see the green uniforms walking around, you know, and they're kind of like poking around the boulders. And I'm like, hey, just decided to say hi. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on, Rangers? How are y'all yeah. doing? What are you doing? Oh, you know, we're just looking at some of the, you know, the, the indigenous sites around here, whether it's, you know, fire scars or artwork or, you know, r- remains of a, a fire pit or whatever. We're just kind of walking through some of these. Um, like, yep, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're out here in the boulders in some places. Um, it's almost like boulders or shelter, uh, and, uh, you know, started chatting with these folks and, um, it turns out, you know, it's a handful of junior rangers and like a resource manager and somebody, you know, from the, you know, the upper echelons of the park and whatnot. And they were like, well, we're talking pretty soon. We're going to have a meeting with some of the local tribes about like climbing's place and how we're all going to work together uh, to define some of these uh, indigenous resources and uh, compare and contrast in some cases with climbing resources. I'm like, wow, that's amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, chatted with them for a while, hit it off pretty well with the, the one guy I spoke to for the most part. And then, um, you know, mentioned it to Kenji, said, hey, there's this meeting. And he says, oh, yeah, I'm going to the meeting. You should be there. And, um, so, what, I think it was the next day in the afternoon, um, you know, before or after a clinic, I don't remember, <clears throat> drove out to 29 Palms and sat down with representatives from three three local tribes and then fellow from the park and a couple of local guides, Kenji and myself. And, um, you know, we just talked about, like, everything from boundaries um uh to perspectives uh respect you know we we like actually kind of dove a little bit into the um you know to what like defines sacred you Mm -hmm. know because i know there's a lot of people out there that's like kind of your knee jerk (laughs) angry white guy response is like well goddamn climbing is sacred to me too you can't tell me you know and and that is a thing you're a climber climbing is sacred to you isn't it you you feel it you know but um so we actually like got to 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 get into some of these topics and um 
I'm not sure if I've walked away from a meeting with like this better feeling of like, okay, everybody, I think we're like hearing each other here mm-hmm. and, and, and we can actually make this work and we can actually make this work on paper in a national park mm-hmm. for both uh, the indigenous tribes that have been there for freaking ever and climbers who are really new to the scene here. Mm-hmm. So at this point, you know, long story short, walking around in the boulders and just going and talking to some rangers, I now get to put my two cents in to how uh, to, to, to a, a climber's perspective within a national park, which is going to be written in as policy. You know, this is how we think of this. And, you know, it's the first time in Joshua Tree, and it will set a benchmark for the rest of the national parks in the nation. And that was just walking around bouldering. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know if there's a moral of the story. Like, yeah, give a shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to somebody, you know. Like, they may yeah. actually really know. They, they might want to know what you have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... I don't know. It's not always bad cop, bad cop or whatever, you know, yeah. I'm not sure. No, that's, uh, that's beautiful, man. And and thanks for sharing that. I think every, we could all just learn a lesson to engage and just say hi <laughs> and smile at someone, yes. even if they're, you know, maybe well, you the know, people they, who used to worry about busting <laughs> you for smoking weed. Yeah, for and, real. and now yeah. you're like, well, no, that exactly. it's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, or maybe it is in some way, but now that we're all... Um, I recently burned a joint yeah, with yeah. the uh, ex-attorney general of an unspecified state. All right. Yeah, that was kind of a... <laughs> you never know. Uh, sometimes uh, the enforcers of the law and the promulgators are, the, are just as much of a victim as you are. Oh, yeah. for sure. But no, that was that was beautiful, though, and I, I think that's a perfect, perfect spot to end on, not just because we have to go to Climber Beer Night... <laughs> In Durango and raise money for the Durango Climbers Coalition and Keeping Colorado Beautiful, who just uh, came down. This guy from uh, the Springs. Just knocked it out of the park. He came down. He's just this guy. And for real. And, you know, yeah, I know yeah. I messaged with you about this. Yeah. Like, who are these people? Yeah. Like, for real. Right. Like, we know how to clean this stuff. Yeah. I know how to clean this stuff. Yeah. Here's how we clean this stuff. Yeah. But but here's this group. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, this is what we do. Yeah. You know, I'm so, I'm so. So let's glad. go drink some beer and raise some money for uh, those groups. Here's to that. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, brother. Good oh. to catch up, always. Yeah, man. All right, that was episode 18 from season two with our friend Chris Schulte. Hopefully, we'll get another essay from Chris in the future, and hopefully, something in that conversation inspired you to uh, work towards something bigger, to get involved in our process, uh, political process in the country, um, and just to do the right thing and and, um, make some action towards a good thing. Music from this episode is from Devin Dabney. Um, Devin has a podcast as well called The American Climbing Project, and he's got a few episodes out and uh, the few that I've listened to have been very, very unique um, satire with um, some heavy hitting points. And um, it's a very uh, unique and interesting perspective on climbing in our climbing community. So be sure to check that out. Chad Rich is our digital editor and producer. And signing off from beautiful Durango, Colorado, I'm Luke Mihal. Peace.